I think it's amazing when um, we see God working um, in all of the craziness and chaos that life can bring throughout the week. Um, I want to begin the message before we even get started. Uh, I lost a very dear soul uh, over the last two weeks. Her name's Annalise. A lot of you have been on Facebook and have followed the story. Um, And I had to do her funeral this this past Tuesday. So that was very, very heavy and uh, burdened my heart. And then I had these crazy migraines probably from stressing the funeral and um, wasn't able to really get to the message till Friday night, Saturday. And, and um, when I came in this morning, I told Kayla, I was like, I don't feel prepared. I don't. And then she's like, yeah, but God's got it. So I'm like, amen, God's got it, right? So what I want to do is I want to kind of remind us what's going on at the beginning of our journey in Romans. For those of you who weren't here last week, we started our journey uh, in the letter to the Romans. Uh, we, I said it's going to be five years. It might be a little bit longer than that. But it's going to be like, you're like, whoa, five years. Yeah, if you're going to do it right, it's going to take quite some time. But we will be sure to make sure we give you all the different sermon series titles and fun little graphics that will keep you interested and all that good stuff for you Americans. But other than that, yes, we will be journeying through Romans. So last week, um, I told you that this first uh, scripture, the first verse, Romans 1 1, is going to help us create a foundation of what we're going to need to know so that we can continue to uh, go through the epistle with new definitions of who we are and what we are. Now, a lot of you reached out to me throughout the week with questions. Don't stop. Do not stop reaching out directly to me or directly to others asking these questions because the whole purpose of this study is for you to know exactly what you believe. What we're tired of here at Church on the Rock is people walking in the door, being told what to say, being told what to believe, blindly believing it, making confessions that they really don't believe, and then getting upset when they're held accountable to those beliefs. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, I confess Jesus is Lord. They're like, then do what he says. No. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's what you just said. You just said he was the ruler. So, um, so instead of saying, you know, belief births behavior like we've been saying the entire year, I thought about it and said, yes, belief does birth behavior, but what do you believe? And a lot of us just from last week found out that we didn't even realize there were so many different ways that Paul could have said um, he's a servant of Christ, but he chose the one way that means slave. And, and the reason that was so important is because in the American context, we don't like the word slave because of our history. But if we look at the Roman culture and the history of the people that he was writing to, it was indeed the word that Paul wanted to choose so that you actually understand that you do not belong to yourself. You do not belong to yourself. You're not a hired servant as somebody who maybe whoever has a nine to five, you work for somebody who hired you. And as soon as they upset you or do something you don't agree with, you can quit and go on about your life. That is not the word that Paul used. He used the word slave. You didn't own yourself to begin with. You don't own yourself now. Christ paid a price with his life to buy you, to free you from the slavery of sin so that you could be a slave of Christ. And that's where we ended. And people called me, texted me, I'm not sure if I agree with that and all that. And we walked through things. And as a result, everybody's growing. And I pray that you took the rock responses from last week and you actually applied them to your life. So this week... This week, as we continue, allow me to reintroduce myself in Romans 1.1. I want to, again, put my information up here. Uh, For those of you who didn't get it last week, I'm Pastor Rashad. If you're over here, you can kind of look at the back screen, too, a little bit. But um, uh, Pastor Rashad, that's me. Hi, how everybody doing? 317-800-2911 is my phone number, and that is my email. I'm only giving this information out, not so you can bug me at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, to get on PlayStation and and play a video game with you. A kid actually did that recently. I'm not going to call anybody out. But so that you can reach out to me with any in-depth questions, with any um, input, any things that you're wrestling with, because we're not trying to educate you just to puff up your knowledge so you can go and tell people a Greek word that you knew. Everything we're doing is not for me to show off and tell you what I know. It's so that you can get to a place where you choose what you believe. That's that the greatest thing I want to come out of this, is that you understand what you believe. 
Not what I want you to believe, but what you believe based on what the Bible says. So please use that information as needed. Now, um, it's hot up here, and I'm going to need you. So good morning, Church on the Rock! We do that to make sure that you are awake. We do that to make sure you're here, especially because it's 10 o'clock and like 9, 11, 10. We actually pick that time because we're like, if we're going to have one service, we want to kind of make it where it fits for the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock. So we're right here in the middle to kind of meet everything in the middle. And we do that to make sure you're here, to make sure you're excited. So let's do that one more time. Good morning, Church on the Rock! All right, we're going to be at Romans 1 1. Open your Bibles, open your cell phones, or just look at the screens that are available to you. We're going to be in Romans 1.1. This is Paul's letter to the Romans, and it reads like this. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But once again, going back to last week, that translation is an English translation, and English translators, being sensitive to our culture, in most translations, it says bond servant or servant, but in some, particularly the NLT, it says slave. So Paul, a slave, a doulos of Christ Jesus. Today, we are going to um, introduce or reintroduce our ruler. So last week, we did a reintroduction of our role, slaves. Today, we're going to do a reintroduction of our ruler. Now, heavy information is coming your way. Take notes if you want to take notes. Listen to it again throughout the week. Um, But don't be overwhelmed or intimidated by this. I'm bringing it down as low as I can, and if you need more, just call me, okay? So, um, in our English translations, I'm going to pass this around real quick. This is is a Greek Bible. Everybody see that? This is my Greek Bible, one of my favorite tools right here. I'm going to pass this around so everybody can see what the Greek Bible looks like, and just tell me if you would... uh, if you would be able to read that, would you be able to read that? Just pass it around so everybody can see that. If you look at the, ori- the original Greek New Testament, you'll see that there's a reason we need English translations. 99% of people in here cannot read the Greek translation of the Bible. Anybody in here read Greek? Anybody else read Greek? Yeah? No? Okay. Nobody? All right. So nobody in here could read the Greek New Testament, so we have a translation. Well, Back in the day, uh, the same thing went for the Old Testament. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic, okay? So it was Hebrew and Aramaic. But there was a time, I'd say, probably in the 280 BC, somewhere in that area, where the king in Alexandria, Egypt, wanted a Greek version of the Old Testament, right? So if if there's Greek-speaking people and they want to be able to read the Old Testament, they need a version that they can read. The same way we're English-speaking, we're American, so we need an English version of the Greek New Testament, right? We need an an English Bible. So he had something built called the Septuagint, and I want to start there today with the Septuagint, also known as the LXX. Those are Roman Roman numerals, L meaning 50, X10, X10, so it's like the 70, and that was because the the legend, the myth, is that 72 scholars uh, from Israel, from, from Israel tribes, six from each tribe, so 12 tribes, six people from each tribe, 72 came, and they made this translation of the Hebrew text into Greek. So we have what we call the Septuagint. Why does that matter to me, Rashad? Like that is a whole bunch of Jeopardy information that I don't need this morning. But I beg to differ. See, when Paul in the book of Romans quotes the Old Testament, 94% of the time he's quoting the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, not the Hebrew Old Testament. So what happens is when we're trying to define words in Paul's letter and and actually in lots of the New Testament, I'd say 70 to 90% of all, transla- or of all quotations of the Old Testament are from the Septuagint, not the original Hebrew and Aramaic text. Why would, why would they do that? Well, the majority of the people they're talking to are Greek-speaking people. They live in Rome, in the Roman area, so they're going to use the text that would apply to them. The same way that I don't read to you guys from the Greek uh, New, New Testament, I read to you from the English translation of the New Testament, right? So when we're looking at words... In Paul's letter, 
were actually, uh, to, to go back and find out where the meanings come from and why he would choose this word versus that word, many, in many cases, we want to go back to the Septuagint because that's what he, he would have been studying, that's what he was quoting, and we'll find words that correlate that we never knew went together before. Once again, this is heavy stuff, but I'm just trying to get you to the point where you can understand. You're going to see this word throughout the next five years. I want you to understand what it means now. The Septuagint is simply the Greek version, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible or the original Old Testament. That's all it is. I want you to know that, though, because it is what is quoted 70, the majority of the time in the New Testament when the Old Testament is quoted, it is coming from the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, okay? So when we read um, uh, Psalm 2, I want to read this real quick. Psalm 2 says, why are the nation, this is David speaking, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? It says, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. I'm going to stop right there. The reason this matters is because that word, that, that, that saying right there, against his anointed, in the Hebrew text, so in the original Hebrew version of the Old Testament. That is where we get our word Messiah from, okay? The Hebrew word there is where we get our word Messiah from. But when it's quoted in Acts chapter 4, give me Acts chapter 4, uh, Brent. Uh, so to give you some context real quick, John and Peter uh, just got released because they were proclaiming Christ and they got beat up and thrown in jail, but they couldn't keep them in jail. So they released them and said, go on and stop talking about Christ. And they're like, we're going to keep talking about Christ no matter what you do to us. And then they released them. Well, when John and Peter, when they were released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, the people that they were talking to, heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Keep going. And then who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, and they quote Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So they quoted Psalm 2, 1 through 2, but when they quoted it, they used the word Christ. And when you look at the Septuagint version of the Old, of, of the Old Testament, his anointed, the translation there is Christ. It is Christos. So now, so now we have something that shows us that the Old Testament Messiah is equivalent to the New Testament Christ. Everybody got that? Is everybody with me there? So, so uh, there's, I, I say that for this reason. There's people who will say uh, this Jesus Christ is not the Messiah of the Old Testament. That's, that, that's an actual belief that, hey, I believe in God. I believe in everything the Old Testament says, but Jesus is not the promised Messiah of the Old Testament because it never says in the New Testament that Jesus is the Messiah or something like that. They'll, they'll just run with whatever they can run with. And what happens is if you do all this study in this cultural context, what you see is that every time in the Old Testament, uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it speaks of the Messiah. It uses the, the, the translation Christos, that's the Greek word for the Messiah, the Greek word for Christ. And that's what we're looking at today. Who is our ruler? Christos. We are slaves of Christos, the Christ. So that, that's, that's just a very powerful thing that I want you to understand, and that's why the Septuagint matters. And now you got your little $500 vocabulary word, and you go to work and be like, yeah, we talked about the Septuagint. And you'll probably get it wrong and call it Septuagint or you know, September or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so that brings us to the Christ. All right. So, so we've established that um, the word for Messiah in the Hebrew is the exact same word for Christ in the Greek. So when Paul says, I am a slave of Christos, he's saying, I'm a slave of the Messiah. Everybody got that? He said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a doulos of Christos. I'm a slave of the Messiah. Now, here's the thing. To be uh, the Messiah, 
that wasn't a title to be Christ. That wasn't a title that you just get. And I want you to understand this. I'm trying to break it down as little as possible. So when people say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Okay. Um, Christ is his title. No, we're laughing. But imagine somebody walking in. Matter of fact, me. When I came into church for the first time in 2011, and they said, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm like, yeah, I know Jesus Christ, and I know Joseph Christ, and Mary Christ, and because I figured Christ was his last name. So we're laughing, because we're like, yeah, we know that, but not everybody knows that, and it's those laughing and those giggles that make people feel like, well, I don't want to ask nothing in the church, and I don't want to because you guys are laughing like that's common knowledge. That's not common knowledge. Christ was a title. The same way that you call me Pastor Rashad, pastor's not my name. It's not a part of my name. It wasn't passed down to me from anybody. Pastor is my appointed title. It's my, my um, ordained title, Pastor Rashad. Uh, so Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, Christ is not his name. Uh, Christ is the title. And to have that title, there were requirements that had to be met. And I think it's pretty neat. This morning, I was talking uh, to Izzy, Pastor Jason's uh, youngest daughter, and she was showing me this um, Beanie Boo. Is that what they're called? Anybody know? Anybody familiar with these? Beanie Boo, right? Okay. And she had, she had, other, she had other stuffed animals in there. So she had a couple Beanie Boos and some other stuffed animals that she had in there. And I said, what makes a Beanie Boo a Beanie Boo? And she was like, like educating me, right? She's like, well, Rashad, to be a Beanie Boo, it has to have sparkly eyes. And so she had another one in there that had sparkly eyes. I said, so this is a Beanie Boo? She said, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, no. That's not a Beanie Boo. And I said, but it's got the sparkly eyes. She goes, well, yeah, but to be a Beanie Boo, you have to have sparkly eyes and you have to have a, a name on your tag. And I was like, like, really? And she's like, yeah, that's the only way that it could be a Beanie Boo. If it doesn't have both, it's not a Beanie Boo. And she's like, dead serious, right? And I'm just in there this morning, and I was like, wow, that'll preach. Like, like I'm going to take that and use it. So to be a Beanie Boo, you specifically have to have the qualifications of the sparkly eyes, and you have to have a name on your tag. This one is named Slick. Slick. I, that's why I like Slick. I said, can I borrow Slick? So I got Slick up here with me today. Um, now, to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, there were specific requirements, specific requirements that you had to meet according to the Old Testament prophecy. Because if God is God and he prophesizes through his prophets what the Messiah will be, who he will be and how he will exist, if any of those miss, then he's not God. His prophets were wrong, and everything we believe is, is worthless, all right? So there, there's requirements in the Old Testament that have to be met. I want to walk through uh, some of those requirements. The, the, the Old Testament said in Isaiah 9-6, in Isaiah 9-6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in its context, Isaiah is talking to Hebrews. He says, a child will be given to us, the Hebrews. So this is predicting or prophesying that the Messiah, the Christ, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, he, he will be a Hebrew man. So he, the Messiah, the Christ had to be a Hebrew man. Next up, I want to go to Micah 5.2. In Micah 5.2, this is Old Testament, the prophet Micah said, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, sorry, too little to be among the clans of Judah, what happened? Thank you. <laughs> too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. So he's talking about the Messiah here. And he says that the Messiah will not only be a Hebrew man like we learned in Isaiah, but the Messiah will be from Bethlehem. These are requirements. If he's born anywhere else, he can't be the Messiah. If he's born, if he's born in any other ethnos or ethnicity, any other nation, he cannot be the Messiah. In Isaiah 7, 14, I think I put Isaiah 7, 14 on there. Yes, I did. All right. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin 
will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. This is, once again, saying that the Messiah has to be born of a virgin, and she will call him Emmanuel. If these things don't happen, then he can't possibly fit the description of the Messiah. Um, going on in Deuteronomy 18, 18, it says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So the Messiah has to be a prophet um, um, in, in the same vein as Moses. Go to my next one for me, Brent. Uh, Psalm 110.4 says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So not just a prophet, but also a priest. And what's my next one after that? Um, Revelation 22.16, we see that Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, so a son of David, uh, the bright, uh, yeah, the, I am, a, excuse me, I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So he also had to be the son of David. And there's Old Testament things to show that, but it's a lot of scripture I would have had to show you, and I just want to get that. So here's what I'm trying to get to. Um, that title, Christ, there's only one person qualified to meet all of those Old Testament requirements. His name is Jesus. So in the same way, I used to do, um, I used to do recruiting. Like before, when, before I became full-time pastor, I was a recruiter, an IT recruiter and, and a healthcare recruiter. And I would put up a job description with very specific details of what is required to have this title of this job. Like, hey, if you want to be a Java developer, you have to be able to do Java programming, right? People would come in who've never seen Java in their lives and say, why can't I have the job? Because you don't have the requirements. I can't give you this title if you don't meet the requirements. In the same way, the title Christ, Christos, Messiah, took specific um, requirements so that he could be that. So I am the slave of the Messiah. I am the slave of Christos. I am the slave of the only one in the world who qualifies for this title, the Christ. The only one who fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Savior of the world. That is who I am in submission to. That is who I am a doulos of. And that is what Paul is saying in just this very beginning statement. And you're building a foundation now of what you believe. If I asked you, why is Jesus the Christ? Could you answer that before you walked in this morning? If I, if I said, if, if, I'm, if I'm a non-believer, I go, well, why is Jesus the Christ? Why, why isn't Barack Obama the Christ or President Trump the Christ? Or why, why aren't any of them the Christ? What makes Jesus so special that he's the Christ? Could you, could you truly answer that outside of saying, because my pastor said he's the Christ, right? Or, or, or because, because I was told he's the Christ. I want you to actually know why you say Jesus is the Christ. He fulfills every messianic text, every messianic promise, every prophet that said anything about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfills all of it. Doesn't miss a detail. The more you read Matthew, which was a, a gospel written for the Jews, technically, the more you hear Matthew say he did this and he did that so that the promises of the Old Testament were fulfilled, so that the prophets were confirmed. Jesus went about in life living in a way that pinpoint every single prophecy about the coming Messiah, about who he would be, how he would live. Jesus hit every single one of those. So that is why we call him the Christ. And as a result of him being the Christ, the Messiah, we see that he is Lord. So I want to introduce you to our next word here. This is the last word we're going to look at today. Allow me to reintroduce you to Kyrios or Lord. Everybody say Kyrios. Kyrios, yes. Doulos, slave, always went hand in hand with Kyrios. You could not be a doulos without having a Kyrios, which is a Lord or a master. Okay, it's the Greek word for Lord. Now, here's the neat thing. Um, in the Bible, going back to the Septuagint, in the Old Testament, there was Lord as in Yahweh, right? The Tetragrammaton is the big fancy word for it. But when God told what his name was, his name is Yahweh. Or the, when you look at it in the Old Testament, normally it's in all capital L-O-R-D. 
<coughs> excuse me. But there's also moments where we see uh, somebody addressing somebody else as my Lord or my master, which would have been the Hebrew word Adonai. Now, in the Greek Septuagint, when they translated the, the name God and when they translated the title Lord or ruler master, they used the word Kyrios for both. So God's name in the Greek Testament, the Yahweh, is translated Kyrios. And so also the title Adonai or my Lord is translated Kyrios. Give me my next verse up there, uh, Brent. So in Philippians 2, 9, I want you to see this. Uh, for this reason also... God highly exalted him, being Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, so a lot of people think Jesus is the name above every name, right? But let me press on you a little bit here. Uh, a lot of people have the name Jesus, believe it or not. Even at this point, there were a lot of people who had the name Jesus. Jesus wasn't the only Jesus that lived. There were other Jesuses. And... Um, the, the name of Jesus that is above every name is the name Lord. Lord is the name above every name. And it is at the name of Jesus, Lord, that look at this. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Keep going. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, so Jesus the, the Christos, the Messiah, is Lord, both ruler and God himself to the glory of, um, of the Father. So this becomes super duper important because we're saying that not only am I the slave of the Messiah, the slave of the Christos, but I'm the slave of Christ who is Lord, not just ruler, but God himself. There are many of you who have made professions and confessions of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord and only understood it as Jesus Christ being ruler, okay? You're like, yes, I've heard about Kyrios. It means ruler. It means master. Yes, I confess that Jesus Christ is master of my life. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. But you haven't truly confessed Jesus Christ as God. And that's where a lot of people are missing it. There are Christians in the room today who have confessed Jesus Christ as ruler, as master, but have never confessed Jesus Christ as God and would even argue that the Bible never says Jesus is God. This is the importance of understanding the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible, of the um, Old Testament, and how it coincides with the New Testament. Give me my next verse for me. So in 2 Samuel 24, 3, I want you to see this. After David was, there, there's a law in Exodus 30, I think verse 12, that says, you do not count the people unless God says count the people. And if you count the people, there needs to be an atonement, a ransom given for all the people who were counted so that you can count them. So God has to tell you to count the people. And when you count the people, there has to be some kind of payment for each person. David was enticed by the enemy, by the devil, to count the people, kind of pridefully like a pastor in a church saying, hmm, count the numbers today. It looks kind of packed in here. Get them numbers counted so I can glorify on Facebook how many people were here. He got kind of prideful with it. So what he did was he went to Joab and said, uh, he went to Joab and said, hey, count the people. But Joab knew it was against Hebrew law to count the people. So he says, now may the Lord, Kyrios, your God, Add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord, Kyrios, the king, still see. So there's Kyrios Yahweh, and then Kyrios, the title of David the king. You see, how, you see how that works? So a lot of people have been taught that when you confess Jesus as Lord, you're just confessing him as the earthly king or the, the divine king, but not God himself, because the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God. That is an argument that is all in the Christian church, that Jesus is not God. But I beg to differ. Go to my next verse. So what happens is when we see Romans, it should be Romans 10. Is it Romans 10? Do you see? Okay, Romans 10. When we see this, Paul in Romans, we're going to get here later on in the year, but Paul says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you see it in quotations and it all capitalized like that, he's quoting the Old Testament. In this specific case, he's quoting Joel 2.32. When we see Joel 2.32, we find out that it says, and it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the, and that's Yahweh right there, all right? So, so 
In the, in the Hebrew Old Testament, that's the name Yahweh for Lord. When the Greek Septuagint translates it, it translates it Kyrios, right? Which could be Lord or Yahweh. But when Paul quotes it, he's quoting this specific, this right here, this specific Old Testament verse. So he's showing you that he's saying, if anyone calls the, on the name, if anyone confesses Jesus as Yahweh, you see that? The Bible does show you that Jesus is God. The Bible does show the Trinity. The Bible shows all these things that people try to argue against. And this is who you're a slave of. You're not just a slave of some earthly king or, as Muslims say, some great prophet. You're the slave of the actual creator of the universe. You're the slave of the Son of God who is God himself. This should change a lot of things for you. Because some of you have only confessed to believing that Jesus is ruler king, but not Jesus as Yahweh. The Bible's clear that Jesus is Yahweh. So the reason, so sorry, the reason that matters is because it changes not just his title, but everything that's under his rule. Um, now I want you to understand that he's not just Lord of all believers. Does everybody believe? Give me that text. He, does everybody believe he's Lord of everybody who believes in him, right? So if I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord, he's my Lord, right? Like, hey, Jesus is my Lord. But does anybody believe this right here? Christ is Lord of all. Not just all believers. All right? Some people come in here, well, yeah, Christ is Lord. Corey, Christ is Lord of everybody who calls him Lord. Duh. Yeah, but what if you don't call him Lord? Does that change the fact that he's your Lord? No. No. So, so look how this would practically change the way you, um, you share the gospel. I, Shola, I don't have to argue and fight with you and puff up my chest to make you believe what I believe. Like, if you don't believe, it don't matter. He's still the Lord. Um, there's people who are like Americans in the United States, and they're like, <laughs> President Trump ain't my president. He's not my president of the United States. That's cool. You can say that. It doesn't change the fact that he is the president of the United States, right? Like, I don't, I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you don't like him. I don't care if you don't claim him. He's still the president of the United States. So, Jesus ain't my Lord. I don't say that. That's cool. He's still the Lord of all. He's God. He's the creator. In the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It doesn't change. I don't care how you feel. And people miss this. They think they think he's only Lord. If I make him my Lord, you don't make him nothing. Like. Who are you? He's only a Lord if I make him my Lord. What? Like, um, oh, oh, the beanie boo. Oh, hold on. No, no, tell us. Check this out. The beanie boo. So I'm back there with Izzy this morning. She's schooling me on the beanie boo. And I'm like, yo, his name is what? She said, Slick. I said, Slick is my favorite. I said, yeah, he's my favorite. She, she said, uh-uh, that's a she. I was like, no, it's not. I was like, his name is Slick. She goes, that's a she. I said, how you know it's a she? She, she said, because I said it's a she. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. Like, I said it's a she, so it's a she because this is mine, because I own this, because I'm, I'm the creator. Like, it's a she. And I was like, well, there's nothing I can say to that. I can't make it nothing, right? God called Jesus the Christ. God said Jesus is Lord, so he's Lord, period. You and your feelings and how you feel about that doesn't change that fact. Your, your obedience or disobedience to that doesn't change that fact. And here's where it gets real, like I, I hate to say it to you like this, but here's, here's where it gets real, real nasty for you. Go back to that Philippians 2 uh, uh, 10. Give me like Philippians 2 10. It says, at the name of Jesus, look at this, every now, I did this really deep Greek study on the word every. It means every. <laughs> All right? Every single knee will bow. So, 
so when I'm asking you to believe in Christ as Lord, as Yahweh, as ruler, as Kyria, as a, you don't have to do it now. Do, okay, no problem. You don't have to do it now. Here's the thing. You're going to do it. There, there, you're, there's, you don't have a choice. You, you can choose not to do it now, but you're going to do it later. My, my father used to make, man, Shola, my father used to make pork and beans five days a week. Cut up some hot dogs, which I'm not even sure that's pork. Cut up some hot dogs, put a whole bunch of beans in this pot like this big, and be like, dinner for the whole week, right? That's all we could afford. And I hated pork and beans. I absolutely hated pork and beans. So by the time we got to Friday, and it's the fifth day of pork and beans, Corey, I'm like, I ain't eating these pork and beans. My dad come downstairs, you ain't eating your dinner, boy? I'm like, no, nah, man, I ain't eating these pork and beans, man. Like, you know, I'm starting to feel myself a little bit. Got a little muscle now. I, I could take him, right? And he looked at me and was like, you don't have to eat them pork and beans now, but you're going to eat them later. And when you eat them later, there's consequences that come with that, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you ain't, go ahead. Don't eat your dinner now. You're going to eat it later. And when you eat it later, when I make you eat it later, there's going to be some consequences to the way you eat it. You ain't got to believe in Christ as Lord now. But you go and believe it later. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. All right? Then it goes on in verse 11. Once again, look at this. And every tongue will confess or agree with God that Jesus Christ is Kyrios, is Lord. When I'm, when I'm crying out to you, to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your Lord, as Yahweh, I'm not doing it because I'm trying to win an argument or because I'm trying to show you how right I am. I'm doing it for the benefit of your salvation, your eternal life. Because here's the thing. It's not really a matter of if anymore. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It's more of a matter of where, because if you do it here, it, it results in salvation. If you do it then, later, it's damnation. You see that? You're going to do it anyway. One results in salvation, one results in damnation. I don't want you to get the foolish thought that, well, as long as I call on the name of the Lord, as long as you call on the name of the Lord now, today. If you do it when Christ is returned, it's too late. It's too late. Now you're doing it more out of the fear, out of the, whoa, he really is Lord. And now, no, we needed you to do it in faith when you couldn't see it, when it was the unseen. So th this is who you're saying you're a doulos of, Christ, the Lord, Christ, the Lord of all. And to back up that statement, I just want to walk through the Bible real quick. Psalm 24, 1. Psalm 24, 1, I want you to see how the Bible itself kind of confirms that Christ is Lord of all. It says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. That sounds like all, right? That sounds like everything, right? Go to my next one. Um, even Christ himself, when Jesus came up and spoke to the disciples before he gave off the Great Commission, look what he said. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Look at that. All authority. All, like, there is no authority that is not under him. Keep going. The next verse says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or no one enslaves you through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the word, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. He's the Lord of all. Not just all believers, not just all Christians. He's the Lord of everything, everyone. Do I got another one uh, after that one? Do I got another one after that one? Yes, I do. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. Paul goes on and says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and people are like, well, hold on, talk about, go back to that real quick. People, let me pause you real quick. You might not have been here for the Bible study, but if you get a chance, go back to our website, look at the Bible study on the word Elohim. What you'll find is that um, Elohim would be better translated spiritual beings 
because when it speaks of Elohim, it's talking about any spiritual being. And, and when we say Yahweh Elohim, we're talking about the God, the creator of all spiritual beings, who himself is a spiritual being. It's kind of like, Corey, you cut my hair, right? All right, there's many barbers at Dave's Barbershop. There's only one Corey the barber at Dave's Barber, and he's dope, man. He's an he, awesome dude, bro. So in the same way, in the same way, there's many spiritual beings. There's many Elohim in the world. He says it right here. Indeed, there are many Elohim and many lords, right? But, but there's only one Yahweh Elohim, only one, the spiritual being named God, named Yahweh. There's only one of that. So he says, uh, yet for us, there's but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So this is what I want you to see. Uh, there should be a graphic right there, uh, Brent, that says um, you have like the freedom. Yes, you can choose who you obey as Lord, but you cannot choose who is the Lord. Okay? So you can choose who you obey as Lord, but you cannot choose who is the Lord. Does that make sense? Let me keep your attention up here. Keep your attention up here. I'm going to say that one more time. You can choose who you obey as Lord. So right now, I, I can look at David Matthews and be like, David Matthews, I obey you as Lord. I can look at Bill Kelly. Bill Kelly, I obey you as Lord, right? But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord, all right? So your free will, your free choice, you are free to choose who you obey as Lord, but they're not truly the Lord, you are free to chase after and allow whoever, whatever to master you. You have that freedom to do that, but they are never truly the Lord because there's only one Lord. There's only one God. These other, even, even these other lords or Elohims, or, they're under the rule of the one true Lord, period. There's only one. So no matter what you do, if you're choosing to be Lord under something else other than the Lord, you're just choosing to be the Lord under something that is under the Lordship of the Lord. No, like no matter what, there's nothing, there's no way to get away from that. So you're free to choose, but you are not free from the consequence of your choice. So once again, here's your freedom. You are free to choose who you will make Lord of your life, who you will allow to master you, what you will allow to master you. You're free to choose all of that stuff. It doesn't change the fact of who the Lord, who the master is, and it doesn't change the fact of the consequences of your choice. You don't determine the consequences of your decisions. So look at this. I want you, I want to, I'm trying to close this out here. Every day you are faced with decisions that cause you to choose between Lord, Christ, and anything else. Every time you choose anything else, you cannot control the consequences of that decision. So what you do as Christians, you, you choose over and over things that are not what the Lord would have for you. And then you shake your fist at the Lord because of the consequences of your choice. Because you, you were willing to make that when you thought you could control the consequences. When you thought you could control what the consequence would be for choosing against the Lord, you made it and was like, you know what, this 15 minutes of pleasure is worth it because nothing that bad can happen. And then when something devastating comes in and interrupts your agenda in your life because of your choice, you want to shake your fist at God. But you freely chose to allow someone or something else master or lord over you when you've been told that you should be a slave, no say, no ownership of yourself, of the Lord. This is called self-inflicted suffering. And I would, I would go on to say more than 50% of the things you are going through are self-inflicted if you really look at it. If you really look at decision after decision that you've made in your entire life, and you really think about how often you ignored God, you ignored Christ, you ignored his Bible, his word, and made your own decisions as your own Lord or enslaved to sin or whatever, you're suffering consequences of those decisions. But this is what I love about our Lord. Um, he's not just a Lord, he's a Savior. Right? And, and so our, our Lord 
being Lord, he's allowed to be our Savior. He's allowed to redeem those, those things that are, he's, he's allowed to take all things and use them for the good of those who love him. Why? Because he's in control. And this is why it's so important and so vital that we just take this moment and grasp what it means to say Jesus is the Christ and Christ is Lord of all. Why? Because how else would you be able to say Jesus take the will? See, I like that little Christian saying, Jesus take the will. If he ain't Lord, I don't want him taking nothing. <laughs> like, how else can you say God is in control if he's not in control? So he's either Lord of all or Lord of nothing. This is what, amen, this is, this is what I'm asking you to, to believe today. I'm, not just that you are a doulos or a slave, but that you are a slave of the most high, the creator himself, the one who is in control of all things, because it changes the way you should live. It should completely change the way you live. So here's my, all right, here's my, um, 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 Here's my rock responses. Remember last week we had the three. We got some things I want you to respond to. If, you're, if you missed last week, uh, going forward while we're doing this, we want to always give you a, a, an actual practical challenge on how you can take this knowledge and this theology and actually put it into practice. I'm, I'm sick of preaching a sermon and people amening and all that, and then they have nothing to respond to. They're like, okay, I learned something, but I don't know what to do now. So this is what I'm asking you to do. Give me rock response number one. Give me rock response number one. I, I, I need you to ask yourself this question. Do I believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah slash Christ from the Old Testament? I need you to ask yourself that throughout the week. Ask yourself that now. Do I actually believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus of, the, excuse me, Jesus of Nazareth, is the actual promised Messiah in Christ from the Old Testament. Give me my next one. Rock response number two. Do I understand that Christ Jesus is, the, is not only my Lord and ruler, but the Lord and ruler of all? Do I, do I actually understand that it's not just those who are here who believe in Jesus as Lord, that he's Lord over, but he's actually the Lord of all, of everything. Rock response number three. I understand, I want to be able to confidently say this, I understand what it means when I say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. A lot of people say this. Yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm a Christian. And then you say, so what does that mean to you? And they're like, I don't, I don't know. The Bible says it. My pastor says it every Sunday. So I'm supposed to say it, right? So what does it mean that Jesus is your Lord? It means he's my ruler. It means he owns me. It means he bought me with a price. It means I belong to him. I'm in bondage to him. I have no say over my life. That's what it means to call him Lord. And as a result, you can also call him Savior, meaning that he died for your sins, that you yourself couldn't die for your sins. You needed a promised Messiah from the Old Testament who would fit all of the qualifications, live a sinless life, go to the cross, to the cross, be buried, resurrected, and then placed on the right hand of God. That's the Savior. So when you say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, you're not saying I don't want to go to hell. There's so much more to it than I don't want to go to hell. And if that's the only reason you're saying it, then you've, then you've missed all of it. If you're only saying, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, so you don't go to hell, you've missed all of it. Because this is what you'll do. You'll get baptized, you'll come up, and everybody will cheer for you, and you will go on living a life where you are the ruler of your own life. And then the first time the pastor holds you accountable, you'll say, well, who are you to tell me what the Bible says that I need to do? <laughs> and I'll say, well, I'm nobody, but the Lord says, right? And here's my final rock response I have for you. Um, I, want you to, I want you to do this. I will meditate on Colossians 3, 22 through 25. And in everything I do this week, I will do it for the Lord. Give me Colossians 3 real quick. I want you to see this. Look at this. Paul, writing to real people in a real time, says this. Doulos, slaves, okay? In all things, obey those who are your Kyrios on earth, your lords, your masters, your rulers on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men. So, you know, like when I used to work in the office and I was bivocational, and I was so wrong for this, um, I would get as much work done in the first two hours of work, and then I would study the Bible for six hours at work, and 
And like my boss told me, do not be working on your sermon at work. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, and I would get all my stuff done. And then when she's not looking, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to work on this Bible verse anyway. You know, um, but when she's looking and I put it away and act like I'm working on what I'm supposed to be at work, he's like, don't do that. <laughs> when, when I tell you to obey your earthly masters, uh, don't do it with external service as those who are merely pleasing man, but with sincerity of heart or with your soul, fearing who? The, the Lord. That can, so he says, he says, look, go back, go back real quick. Go back. He says, uh, don't obey those who are your earthly curios, your little lords. Um, oh, oh, do it as if you're obeying your heavenly curios, your, your, your big master. Go on. He says, he says, whatever you do, do your work with everything in you as though or heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. You see, you see, you see why this is important when you say I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of the Lord. He goes, well, then whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Don't do it for man. Keep going. And he says, um, uh, he says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive your reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you Serve like you serve the Lord Christ, even when you're serving your earthly masters or your earthly bosses and things like that. Lastly, um, he says, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. So you can't be like, well, my boss was mean, so I didn't do it. Like, no, it doesn't work like that because it's not your boss that you're doing it for. You're doing it for the Lord. The reason I want you to meditate on this is because it will apply to every area of your life. Now, what I want you to do is think about that. And look at your marriage. Okay? I need you to submit both ways. Surrender both ways. Husbands to wives. Wives to husbands. Husbands love your church as Christ loved the church. Giving himself up. That's a surrender. Wives submit to your husbands as if unto the Lord. Why? Not because of them. See, this is what happens. You, you're like, well, if my husband would just act right, I might treat him the way I'm supposed to treat him. That's not what the Bible's asking you to do. The Bible's saying... As you obey the Lord, submit to your husband. Husbands, as you obey the Lord, give yourself up to you. Your wife doesn't have to be right or be whatever you want her to be for you to give yourself up for. You give yourself up for because he told you to. Okay, now, that's, that's marriage. Okay, don't exasperate your kids. Rashad, you don't know my kids. Yes, I do. I know all of them. <laughs> Don't exasperate your kids because he told you not to exasperate your kids. But they bad. I don't care. Don't exasperate your kids because it's not them that you're doing it. You're doing it because your Lord told you to, if he is indeed your Lord. Okay, forgive everybody, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. They haven't earned my forgiveness. They, they don't. No, no, no. The Lord told you to forgive. What are, you, what are you waiting on? I'm waiting on them to apologize. I'm waiting on them. No, no. The Lord told you to forgive. Not because they deserve it or they've earned it, but because he's Lord. He told you to forgive. That's how he forgave you, right? And, 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 and on and on and on. Uh, pray for your enemies, right? Uh, love your, your, your neighbors, which is everybody when you really break it down. Like all of these things that you're not doing as, as Christians who think you're holier than thou and got it all together. I'm telling you, when you really look at the word Lord and when you really look at who the Christ is and who, and who Jesus is and what his claim and what his title is, you'll see that there's so many areas of your life that you're not completely surrendering to your Lord the one that you willingly have called Lord. So that's, that's my challenge to you this week. Um, to really think about Paul's opening statement. Paul, doulos Christos. Paul, slave of Christ, slave of the Messiah, slave of God, slave of Yahweh, slave of the one in control. And when I say that in every area of my life, I'm going to live my life serving him and him alone, never allowing anybody I'm interacting with to change my obedience to him. The moment I don't treat my wife right because of the way my wife is acting is the moment my wife is my Lord. Think about that. Yeah. 
The moment I don't treat my husband right because of the way he's acting is the way my husband is my Lord. And Peter, Peter goes as far as to say, wives, even when your husbands are disobedient to the word, they're not even doing what the Bible says to do because some of us will use that as an excuse. Well, he's not being a godly man. God says, I didn't tell you to, to do that with him because he's a godly man because I, I told you to. And husbands do the same thing. Well, she's not being an obedient wife. It doesn't matter. Because you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for me. It's for the sake of the Lord. You'll see that throughout the entire New Testament. For the sake of the Lord, for the sake of the one you call ruler, for the sake of the one you call Lord, for the sake of God himself, this is why you're doing it. So I'm asking you this, this morning as we get ready to close out, worship team can come up, as we get ready to close out, and we're going to sing a song called How Great Thou Art. Think about this in your life. What areas of your life, Christians first, have you not actually surrendered over to the Lord Christ Jesus? What areas of your life in your workplace? Because a lot of us will get to work and then we just kind of let loose because we don't want to be the odd man out or whatever. And, and it's like, well, is he not Lord of your life during your nine to five because you're around other people who don't see him as Lord? And therefore, now you're going to cuss and talk bad and get into all the stuff that they're doing because, because what? Because they're your lords or peer pressure's your lord? I mean, what is it? Every, I want you to look at every area of your life and, and, and make him lord of your life. And for those of you who, who don't have this relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what I want you to understand, okay? I will never force anything down your throat. That's not what I'm here to do. I don't have to. Because every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But the consequences to you believing in Jesus as Lord later, I love you too much to not speak up. You see, I can't tell you I love you and then be quiet because I need to be politically correct. If I love you, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't believe in Jesus as Lord, if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you're going to hell. There's no politically correct way to say that. You're going to hell. I don't want that for you. I, and God himself doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent his only begotten son to die for your sins. It's so that you have access to salvation. He's your Lord, whether you want to agree with that or not. The consequences is if you don't choose that today, you don't control the consequences, and the consequence is hell. So I get up every day, every week, come here or wherever I'm at, trying to live in a way that will bring somebody else to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Not because I want to be right, because I want to grow this little building, but because I want the kingdom to be filled with everybody I see in this room this morning. So we're asking you to make that confession, not because I'm telling you, but because you've, you've seen the evidence and you know what you actually believe. So please stand with us and let's celebrate how great, how good he is.
you could see what I see from here and how the spirit is moving among everybody in that song. Um, wow. So this, this is what I want to do. I, I don't want to miss this moment. Um, so I don't want to be long. We are the slave of a savior who became a slave for us. Amen. And in all of this, I don't want you to miss that fact is like, it's just not this tyrant ruler who's with a whip and, and cracking a whip telling us what to do. It is a forgiving father. It is a sacrificial servant who gave his life for us. That is what I'm asking you to surrender yourself to. So um, as we prepare to leave, let this impress upon your heart. Don't allow this to just be head knowledge that puffs up so that you know more about the Bible. Let it be transformational information that changes the way you live your life and that you interact with humanity. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, this morning with all of the chaos, with all of the, the things going on in our lives this week, uh, for giving us the power, the strength to continue um, to lead your people, Father, in your ways. Thank you for... Um, making it so clear of who your son Jesus is, the Christ. Thank you, Father, for making it 
so easy for us to understand what it means to call him our Lord and Savior. I ask that if there's anybody under the sound of my breath this morning who does not have that relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, as a loving Lord and Savior, Father, uh, that they accept him this morning. And for those of us who do, I ask that we live a little differently uh, in the week to come and in the days to come, um, in, in the life to come, Father, as we now truly understand what it means for us to be a slave of Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you all. Thank you for such a beautiful morning. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you'd like any more information on Church on the Rock, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.